Oh boy, are we excited to record today. Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I was going to start the whole series on false alphas, these ideas of poisonous persons in the church who present as alpha males and uh, the peak of masculinity, but are actually, well, you almost want to say that they're goddess worshipers. You almost want to say that they're just false teachers under a shroud of false masculinity that screws over the entirety of the church. Yes, I was going to do an episode on Mark Driscoll. Yes, I was going to do an episode on Bob Theme. Yes, I was going to do episodes like this. But, before we get to that, before we get to anything like that, we got to talk about the purity movement. We have to, have to, have to, have to, have to talk about it. Because a lot of people don't understand that the supposed toxic culture of evangelicalism that we always hear people bellyaching about is really not nearly as bad as people are making it out to be. Now, don't get me wrong. Prosperity gospel belongs in the trash. Don't get me wrong. Support for Israel, the political nation state, belongs in the trash. Don't get me wrong. All the charismania that had people out there having seizures in the middle of Toronto and in all these hyper-Pentecostal churches, and the fact that megachurches went right after it, belongs in the friggin' trash. But when it comes to purity culture, which most of these false alphas paid lip service to, that was a good thing. It was a good thing that sometimes went a little too far. But it was a good thing. But let's break that down a little bit. What was purity culture? Purity culture, beginning with the whole love weights or true love weights idea in the 1993, it's about when they had those uh, gatherings in Washington, D.C., was this idea that, hey, our children are having sexual immorality, fornication, and all sorts of other degeneracy shoved down their throats by the culture at large, and maybe the church ought to do something to push back against that. Now, did they do anything approaching, say, the Roman Catholic Church's successes in uh, having film standards? No. By this point, that was abolished. The Roman Catholic Church could not 
flex its muscles because of what E. Michael Jones talks about in Slaughter of Cities. There was blockbusting. There was no unity among Catholic people anymore because a lot of them had driven away to the suburbs so they couldn't flex political muscle anymore and say, hey, we don't want filth in our movie theaters. We don't want filth in our TVs. No, no, no. That was all destroyed in the 60s and 70s. Now it's the 90s. And in the 1990s, the idea was, was maybe if we can't, if we can't protect our kids 100% with what's on TV and with what's on uh, the movies, in the radio, in songs, at the very least we can teach them the right thing. So in 1993, they had this uh, True Love Waits thing, and you had guys like Josh Harris uh, writing a book called I Gave Up Dating or something like that. I Kissed Dating Goodbye, that was it. I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And we have all these things where these kids are being taught stuff like the, the tape analogy. You take a piece of duct tape, slap it on your arm, rip it off. Really hurts, doesn't it? Do it again. Same piece of tape. Rip it off, and it hurts less. You do it again, and it hurts less. And you keep doing this until that tape is just a floppy piece of cloth, and that demonstrates to people that, yes, indeed, the more sexual partners you have, the less you are able to bond with them. We have demonstrated this later on. We learned that pair bonding is a real thing, and that the statistics bear out. Second marriages have a higher rate of divorce than first marriages. People with more sexual partners before marriage end up having unfulfilling, basically terminating marriages. They don't stick around. So, here, the purity movement happens. And in the 90s, there was some success with it. Yes, you had weird culty churches out there and a lot of the fundamentalist churches having daddy daughter dances where the where the daddy and the daughter are wearing rings to symbolize that the daughter belongs to the daddy until the daddy gives her away to a new man that's pretty creepy yes we had times in which there were obsessive pastors obsessive youth pastors that never shut up about this what should be maybe a once a year thing or maybe every six months things to remind these kids hey don't ruin your life Hey, don't end up being 35 years old having nothing but four cats, boxed wine, and no boyfriend because you traded in your youth for sex in your early 20s. Yes, some of these pastors didn't do their job right. And so some people got weird ideas about sex and the purity movement, and some of them uh, felt guilty and ashamed or whatever, even once they finally tied the knot. That was not my experience. In my experience, I went to an evangelical church when I first became a Christian. Teenager, started going to a church. Why? I mean, I, if, if I had known better, I would have been in a Missouri Synod church or something. But instead, I went to the church that was available. As a teenager, you don't know any better. You don't know anything about Christianity. And, oh, hey, there's this youth pastor that comes to my high school. Better go to his church. And they did some of the purity stuff. And then, well, they had us sign those pledges. Some of the girls had purity rings. Then Rob Bell happens. And Rob Bell, the emergent church, postmodernist, limp-wristed, skinny jeans-wearing, disgusting, liberal, non-theologian, non-pastor freak, gets up there and he writes a book called Sex God, where he tries to more or less 
reorient everybody's thinking on the place of sex. And we do whole series on it. We do whole summer-long series in the church to talk about it and to emphasize sexual purity, but also that sex within marriage is a, a big deal and everything like that. They don't want to give the kids this impression that it's sexual nirvana once you get married. They don't. Kids happen. You're not always going to be able to sleep with your wife whenever you want. And, oh, okay, okay, so they're giving us a realistic picture. Great, thanks, good for them. And they were telling us, you know, hey, you get married in your, say, your mid-20s or your early 20s, and if you live to be 80 years old, that's 60 years of sex with the same person. Basically, with time and with practice and with getting to know each other um, whenever you want. Yes, that's my dryer. Unprofessional of me, I don't care. So, they would talk about all this stuff. And so for a couple of years, I got that more or less that message. And then I turn 18 and I start going to the young adults service. And I'm going to the young adults, you know, the college ministry thing that mega churches have. I start going to their services where we got an entirely different message because I'm, I'm a little confused. I'm a little disoriented by some of the people talking about their sexual escapades. And some of them talking about their criticism of the purity movement. And then the pastor, the new pastor, the college pastor, gets up there. And in one of his sermons, he talks against judging people for their sexual sins. And here I am, straight out of high school, thinking, wait, I just spent how many years being taught that this is a big deal? And then he's like, we need to understand that we don't judge people for the kind of things that they do. And we don't judge homosexuals. Wait. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. That's not really what the Bible teaches. And you know, people make mistakes all the time. But we need to understand that the main thing is about Jesus. And I learned recently, by the way, as he's saying this sermon and he's barking it out because he's so mad about how judgmental so many of these youth group kids are and how so many, how judgmental so many of the adults are. I figured out that I was getting a different message between youth group, teenager group, whatever, and college group. And all that stuff, all those purity rings seem to have gone in the trash. All those pledges people signed, pfft, must have been burned, must have been shredded, must have been thrown in the trash by the people out there, some of whom I knew back in the same stinking youth group and then they go off to the college group and then I catch up with them and I see that uh, all of them have abandoned this. What's the disconnect? Why'd that happen? And wait a second, I was, I was just reading out of 1 Corinthians, purge the evil person from among you, do not associate with the sexually immoral people who call themselves brothers. Anyone who, who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And here I am in a church service now full of them. Why aren't we doing anything about this? And I even tried to make a peep about that and then immediately was like, excuse me, you can't judge people for this. You can't. This is all about forgiveness and grace. That was the message that I got. So much for the purity movement. 
Now, magazines like The Atlantic have written about how much the purity movement harms people. They've all written about that, and there's all these whores out there who write about how, like, I was raised in the purity movement church, and they told me that sex is bad, but then I had an orgasm and I got confused and scared. There's so many of those people out there. I basically abandoned Christianity because purity was hard. They screwed up. They didn't know what plan B was. I'm not talking about the abortion pill. They certainly knew what that one was because they learned it real quick, didn't they? No, they didn't know what step two is. They didn't know what you do. They don't know what repentance is. They don't know what a clean life is. And they knew. They knew better. But they got all the wrong messages from it, decided that purity was too hard, and gave up. And now most of them that I knew aren't Christians today. Why? They were still going to church when they abandoned the purity movement. And a college-age pastor, he goes out there and he gives them the non-judgmental, do-whatever-the-hell-you-want attitude that they wanted. But they're not in church. Why? And then, by the way, this is not the stereotype you hear about when people say, Oh, I was in a purity movement church, and they taught me that um, if you have sex before marriage, and then you, you give up your virginity before marriage, and then suddenly you're stained for life, forever, and like there's no coming back, you're irredeemable. Nobody taught that. They knew, everybody said, if you do screw up, there is a chance for repentance. If you have screwed up before, and if you've had sex, and if you're a teenager that's not a virgin, or if you popped out a kid or something like that, um, we're here to support you, but we're going to teach you the biblical truth. That's what I was taught when I was a teenager. So no, we weren't taught that. And none of the other evangelical churches that I went to taught that. Nobody taught this idea, this fundamentalist caricature of what the purity movement was. And all these kids knew this. And they knew that when they dropped it like a hot, stinking potato, the moment they were out of mom and dad's house and they could start getting their pee-pee wet, well, well, now suddenly it's all about don't judge me. And then they just leave the church saying that the church was too judgmental. Maybe they saw the same disconnect that I did that, oh, wait, nobody, nobody in this church cares if you're a freaking whore. If you're a disgusting little, uh, you know, coomer man out there. Why is that? And if I sound like I'm going to just a little stream of consciousness here, it's because this has been on my mind. I had to bring up some of this for a sermon illustration. And I'm wondering, did they see the same disconnect? Or did they just determine that they were okay with all the sexual sins out there destroying their faith were they disgusted by the church's lack of consistency on this matter their lack of holding to a principled stand to what the scriptures say i don't know but i can tell you some of the reasons they failed that they dropped those pledges and i think one of the biggest ones is internet pornography pornography is everywhere and the church wasn't talking about it when I was going there in 2006 through 2008. We just weren't. There was one guy, one dude that was one of the ministry partners that would bring it up because he had a porn addiction that he had to deal with for about 20 years back when it was on VHS. And then when it got, on, got onto the internet, he was double addicted. And he would bring this stuff up to a lot of the young men. 
but the pastors weren't talking about it. The youth pastor wasn't talking about it. The, just everybody, head pastor, youth pastor, college age pastor, nobody talked about it, but everybody knew that it was there. And can a single, a single stupid stainless steel ring and a piece of paper that you signed saying you were going to wait till marriage to have sex, can that compete against on-demand, I can look at boobies whenever I want, porn, for free, at any time? Can that? Did the church even think to fight that in a, in a real comprehensive way? We had somebody talk about covenant eyes for that one guy in the church who had to deal with his porn addiction and was trying his best to repent. But that was it. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew that this was really hard to fight. So they decided more or less to just not fight it. And all those people out there who are going on their blog saying, I'm an ex-evangelical because I was raised with the purity movement that taught me that my body is evil. Shut up. No, it didn't. You wanted to watch porn. And then you wanted the real thing. Maybe you went out and got a hooker. I don't know. But it certainly was not. It wasn't some bizarro, fundy, Baptist caricature that even fundamentalist Baptists don't really get into. This was people giving up because it was hard. And they didn't ask for help. And even the ones that did ask for help decided eventually that it was just easier to give up. Have fun. After all, the college-age pastor, he's, he's not going to judge you. He's going to go out and yell at people that judge you. He's going to judge them so hard for judging you, they won't even know what hit them. Easy. And now most of those people don't want anything to do with the church. So let's reread this. Let's reread this. Your boasting is not good. To all these mega churches that are tolerating this kind of sexual sin. And oh yes, they should admit that they're tolerating it. 80% of evangelical people ages 18 to 29 have sex at least on a monthly basis. 80% um, of them are not virgins and are continuing to have sex outside of marriage. Your boasting is not good. Don't talk about how great your church is that it's growing. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? They should. They've got a metric crap ton of leaven in their lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, St. Paul is talking about sexual sin, and he equates it with malice and evil. Why? Because it is malicious and evil. This kind of sin destroys lives. It destroys the church. It destroys relationships. Fornication and all other sexual sins destroys everything. And this is not me being some sex-obsessed evangelical. That was another lie, by the way. 
Why do evangelicals talk so much about sex? They even ran a poll. They even ran a poll, I remember, back in 2007, 2008, when they talked about, like, okay, so why, what do you think about Christians? And a bunch of the respondents said one of two opinions. They don't like gay people and they don't like sex. But what they don't understand, this is not evangelicals being obsessed with sex. This is evangelicals and right-wing conservative Christians of their day, the moral majority, recognizing that nobody goes out there on the air, on TV, on the internet, on uh, the radio, in the movie theater, in books, in education. Nobody goes out there and says, boy, howdy, greed is great. Why don't we just, why don't we all just be greedy? That message was for the boomers. That was for their later thing. But nobody goes straight to the youth with a message of, isn't stealing fun? We should all go out and steal. There was no message out there. And like, yes, there was glorified violence in video games and TV and stuff like that. But violence has a, an interesting place morally. But nobody was saying, you should murder. Murder is fun. Murder is just the best. You know what they were doing? They were all saying, go commit sexual sins. Go tolerate them. How dare you speak against it? The evangelicals were trying to proportionately respond to the absolute filth coming into everybody's lives and infecting their kids' heads. That's not being obsessed with sex. That's trying to have a proportionate response. But, St. Paul says that we should not have the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, being willing to talk about this, being willing to bring this up. And nobody wants to do that now. There might be some churches holding on to purity rings. Good on them if they've maybe really modified their stance, modified their response. But, when we get to these other verses, we have, as the body of Christ, failed. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. We're not talking about non-believers here. We're talking about people claiming that they are believers. He says in verse 11, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Now with 80% of evangelicals ages 18 to 29 screwing up and fornicating on a regular basis, how well do you think they're obeying that command? How good is your church on that? This is apostolic command. This is the word of God. And we are flagrantly disobeying that because we refuse to do church discipline because some skin-tight jeans-wearing hole said, Oh, don't judge. Oh, don't judge. This is so bad for people. You're going to break hearts. And then a lot of people leave these churches and complain to me and my friends about how cucked the churches are. This is a direct disobedience, direct disobedience of apostolic command and of the word of God from churches that will swear to you up and down that they believe their Bibles and they just love their Bibles. 
They don't. They hate the scriptures. They hate them. Or else we would have a major stinking reckoning inside of the populations of these churches where people are getting kicked out left and right. But we don't want to be mean. No, no, we don't want to be mean. We just want the fucking wolves to go inside of our churches and destroy our people. We're fine with that because we don't want wolves to feel bad. Right? So St. Paul makes it clear. More and more. I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or Christian if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Oh, turns out judge not lest you be judged. It doesn't apply here. Judge the ones inside. God judges those outside, St. Paul says. Purge the evil person from among you. And we aren't doing that. Because it's hard. Because porn is everywhere. And it's easy. And what is the fruit of doing nothing? I'm just telling our kids, it's okay. Once you, once you throw that purity ring away, because, because Brad was just so special that one time. Once you throw all that away, what has been the fruit of that? Well, now, Brad, your daughter's ex-boyfriend, is now Brad Jelena. And, uh, oh, yeah, he hung himself last month. Because those estrogen pills he was taking, uh, that just destroyed him. Uh-huh. Yep. Turns out your daughter's had seven abortions, and now she only has cats. Uh-huh. Yep. So much for Christian love. We did that to our daughters and our sons. We did that. So before I talk about false alphas, I've got to bring this up. Because no matter how many big evangelical names can complain about this, no matter how much they talk about that, they are not willing to address the elephant in the room that they did not fight the sexual revolution effectively. Because the moment somebody cried at them and said, I feel just so judged, they went, oh, it's okay, poor baby, you're fine. Don't worry, we're not going to judge you anymore. It's okay if you slept with Brad. And when we wonder why false alphas showed up in the church trying to actually preach a real message of purity, in addition to whatever garbage theology they had, maybe they were trying to meet a need that everybody saw. Because there was another opposite problem. The same voices out there that are claiming that, uh, well, it's totally fine if you fornicate or like stop judging me, lol. Those same voices are also the most prudish voices. Because they, at the same time as they talk about all of these women who've been hurt by purity culture and everything like that, at the other side of their forked tongues, they will say, Husbands shouldn't expect sex from their wives. Oh, goodness gracious, these evangelicals feel like men are entitled to sex with their wives. But uh, what, what about the women out there who have been hurt sexually? What? 
Yeah, if she's not comfortable with something, you shouldn't even ask. You shouldn't even talk about it. You shouldn't even get, you shouldn't even work on it. Just, just she said no once, so you should be perfectly fine with that. Wait, I, the anti-purity culture people, the ex-evangelicals all claim that, wait, no, no, fornication was perfectly fine. Well, shut up, is their response. Uh, you need to see sex as an act of pure love that happens whenever she wants it, and that's it. Or else you're looking at your bedroom as a bordello, as St. Jerome would have said. Wait, 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 wait. So now we're admitting that the world did increase sexual misery. Now we're admitting that maybe those purity culture people had a point. Maybe now we're admitting that there's a problem that you wouldn't be having if these women in these marriages you're talking about didn't spread their legs before marriage. That if these men didn't stick their junk where it didn't belong before marriage. In fact, they should never stick their junk where it doesn't belong. They should stick it where it does belong in marriage. But now we're all the, now all of a sudden we're very prudish. Now we're even more prudish than the Roman Catholic Church saying sex needs to be always a consummate act of pure love and amazingly romantic and fulfilling all of the woman's fantasies and desires or else you're treating your wife like a whore and it's evil and it's abuse and you probably raped her. She should divorce you and take all your stuff. Oh yeah, thank you Rachel Held Evans. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So now we're... We're so permissive about sex that nobody has sex anymore because we're all afraid. Okay, okay, sounds like the purity movement. When they said sex would be great inside of marriage, maybe they had a point too. Maybe we're saying they were right, but you don't want to admit that. So instead, you become at once a whore for people outside of marriage and a prude inside of marriage. And you're telling all those guys that did wait that they have to settle for a woman who is never going to have sex with them. That's burned out from her previous lover so much that she calls it hurt. Maybe it's real trauma. Maybe she, maybe she was raped. Or maybe she wasn't raped, but maybe she just had so many bad experiences with Chad who pumped and dumped her that, mm, yep, no, you can't expect sex because that's not a, a wonderful, loving, Christ-like thing of you to want to have sex with your wife. That's what we're telling people these days. That's what the evangelical world is trying to say with their, their new t fresh take on purity culture. Uh, we're not doing that anymore. Let your freak flag fly. And then once you get married, um, settle into being Herb, the eternally unsatisfied cuck. And that's the state of the church today. And the more I thought about this, the angrier I got. For crying out loud, what, just, uh, just what happened to obedience? What happened to just simple obedience to God's word, real confession and repentance upon violating that word and going from there, trying our best. Instead of this, this idea that we don't ever obey the Bible because that's mean. And, and certainly once people do get married, well, then you can't have sex. Then it's just, maybe it's once on, on your birthday when your wife decides to declare her love to you. That's, um, starting to make sense now why 80% of evangelicals, 18 to 29, are screwing up like this so constantly, isn't it? Just some food for thought.
dear God, dear God, please lead your churches in America to repent before they are judged and burned and blown up and get everything that they have coming to them, everything that they deserve. Please have mercy on us and lead us to real repentance. A lot of people are trying their best, but a whole lot of us, it feels like they're, they're in the church of Jeroboam worshiping at golden calves and claiming that they're faithful to you. It's disgusting. Please cleanse us, dear God, and please help pastors everywhere to do the right thing. Please lead all Christians everywhere to repentance of our sins in the past. May we do things right. From now on and forever, amen and amen.